again, you have honored me and all of us by listening to the program today. And I want to thank you for being here. It's going to be fun. We're going to talk about a moose and a plumb line today. Well, we'll get to that in a minute, but I just want to make sure you understand how grateful we are that you take the time to listen to what what we have to say here. I guess more specifically what I have to say. I, I sometimes am really surprised anybody bothers with what I have to say. I've been a pastor a long time and I've been preaching a long time, but people keep listening and I'm grateful that that you are doing that as well. This is Faith Is, and I want to quickly say that we all need to have faith, and we all kind of struggle from time to time with what exactly is faith. And this is the place where we think of faith as absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And so you've come to the right place to stretch your faith, to grow your faith, to have your faith challenged, because we want to help each other have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. We can trust him. We want to remind each other that we can, especially when we need to trust him most. We need to remind each other that we can, because God wants us to trust him. He is a good God, and we need to trust him. And as we'll talk about today, obey him. Some of you may remember an old song quite popular back in the 60s, I suppose. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And we need to remember that and get back to more of that trust and obey. Well, we're going to take a look at some important verses, important incident in the book of Amos. Now, Amos is not one of those books that we that we look at very often. It is easy to overlook. In fact, we call it a minor prophet, not because it's not important, it's just sh shorter than some of the other prophets in terms of the length of the book. Amos was an important prophet, and he teaches us some important lessons in Amos chapter 7. And so we're going to take a look at that, and I want to read those verses to us Help us set the stage for this. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to follow along. Doesn't matter if your translation matches mine. English translations are very good these days, and you can benefit from whichever one has meaning to you. But we're going to start with Amos chapter 7, starting with verse 7, and read the story and then talk about what's going on here, because what's going on here is really important for us today. So Amos chapter 7, verse 7, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. He showed me this. The Lord was standing there by a vertical wall with a plumb line in his hand. The Lord asked me, What do you see, Amos? I replied, A plumb line. Then the Lord said, I am setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will no longer spare them. Isaac's high places will be deserted, and Israel's sanctuaries will be in ruins. I will rise up against the house of Jeroboam with a sword. Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent word to King Jeroboam of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you right here in the house of Israel. The land cannot endure all his words. For Amos has said this, Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will certainly go into exile from its homeland. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Go away, you seer, flee to the land of Judah. Earn your living and give your prophecies there, but don't ever prophesy at Bethel again. 
for it is the king's sanctuary and a royal temple. So Amos answered Amaziah, I was not a prophet or the son of a prophet. Rather, I was a herdsman, and I took care of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock and said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now, hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel. Do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Your wife will be a prostitute in the city. Your sons and daughters will fall by the sword, and your land will be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself will die on pagan soil, and Israel will certainly go into exile from its homeland. That's Amos chapter 7, verses 7 through 17. Some pretty straight, strong words there from Amos to Amaziah, from Amos to God's people, from Amos to us. So let's take a look. Well, it talks at the beginning about a vision that that God showed Amos so that he could see what was going on. And he talks about seeing the Lord standing next to a wall, a vertical wall, this text says, with a plumb line in his hand. Well, that's really quite interesting. A plumb line is um, a device. A lot of us, probably most of us are familiar with it. Helps us to make sure a wall is straight and true. It's a measuring technique to make sure that wall is straight. And so it talks about the plumb line in the Lord's hand. And later it says that, uh, it puts these words in the Lord's mouth, I am setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will no longer spare them. Well, what's going on here? Well, to be sure, Amos, prior to this in the book, has been prophesying that that God is not going to be patient forever, and that a number of nations are going to come under judgment, and now including his own people. It's a very, very straightforward statement, and one that we need to hear and to heed. But there's a problem with this, and we need to talk about it straight up. So let me ask you first, before we get into this, uh, do you really think pastors like me should uh, tell you the truth? So let me just tell you, I'm Rick Stevens. I'm the pastor at Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida, and this is Faith Is, and I talk to us about the Bible every week. So the question is, should I talk to my people at the church about the Bible and tell them the truth, or should I fudge it a little bit so they'll like what I have to say? Uh, Should I tell you the straight-up truth, or should I avoid challenging things because, well, I don't want you to get upset with me, or stop listening, or think I don't know what I'm talking about, or who knows what. So the question is, do you really think that we who are pastors and teachers who help us understand the Bible should give it to us straight, or should we come up with ways to kind of uh, make it palatable, make it pleasant, leave out the stuff we don't want to hear? Uh, Well, okay, I think I hear you saying you want me to tell you the straight stuff. Well, I have always, since I heard this phrase many years ago, I've always reminded myself that one of my primary responsibilities is to keep the sacred story straight. And so I want to do that. 
And in order to do that, I have to tell you the truth about something that's a little confusing and might upset a few people. So if you're looking for somebody to be upset with, here I am. This is your opportunity. If you want to be confused, you can find a way to be confused in the next couple of minutes. There's no doubt about that. But if you want somebody who's going to tell you the, the truth as he understands it, then you've come to the right place. And I'm going to try to explain this little bit of a complication, and it's technical, and it's really I'm not an expert in the, the things I'm going to talk about, but I can read, I can understand what the experts say, and I want to try to put it in language in a way to help us understand what's going on here. To be sure, it does change some things about what we read here in the text of the Bible. I'm not trying to, to hide that, but it doesn't damage the message that God has given us. It just teaches us something in a little different way. Uh, in some respects, uh, you're going to like one way that I talk about this better than the other. I don't blame you. I do too. But in order for us to honestly look at the Bible, we have to be willing to embrace the Bible honestly and face up to that. Don't you agree with that? I mean, wherever the Bible leads us, that's where we need to follow, yes? Well, of course, that's where we need to follow. So we're going to do that. Now, the problem is that this particular portion of the Bible, particularly verses 7 and into verse 8, are really challenging and difficult portions of Scripture to translate correctly. So one of the things that happened some years ago is a traditional translation developed because the word in here that they ultimately translated plumb line can literally mean and does literally mean either tin or it can mean lead. So when the translators looked at that and they were trying to make sense of what was going on, and there was so much uncertainty, we didn't have the information we have today, they came up with this concept of plumb line. And so they translated these verses by using the concept of plumb line to illustrate that God was going to take the measure of the behavior of his people and not spare them any longer. Well, that's exactly consistent with the scriptures, both here and other places. There's nothing wrong. That doesn't do any violence to to what God has repeatedly said, we're going to give an account. We need to we need to recognize that we're going to face him one day, and we need to do the right things today and tomorrow and the next day. And we need to realize that God's not going to overlook our foolishness. God's not going to overlook our sin. He expects us to live right. And so the plumb line is a pretty good illustration of that. Problem is, we're now pretty sure, in fact, some people say we're very sure, some people say we're confident and we can no longer accept the plumb line translation because now we know that the word in question that's been difficult for all these years literally means tin and we must translate it tin. So in all of the Bibles, and I consulted a number of English translations that say plumb line, some translators have some challenges to decide what to do. Now one of the problems is this. The guys who study the language and who are technically adept at it tell us that it's, the word is not plumb line, it's tin. And yet, all of us look at our Bibles and we say, but my Bible doesn't say tin, my Bible says plumb line. Yeah, mine does too. Many of them do. 
The challenge for us is, are we willing to get beyond the prejudice that says, just because the Bible I hold in my hand says it, doesn't mean we might learn something that will help us understand better. So what's going on here appears to be that God really did use the word tin, and he's using a play on the pronunciation of the original word to help teach us something important. To be sure, the importance that God was going to judge his people does not change. But our understanding of how he's communicating, we need to take a serious look at that. So when when God uses the word that we usually say plumb line, and it really is tin, he's using a word in the original language that sounds very much like a word that he uses later in the verse, not in verse 7, but in verse 8. And the word that he uses in verse 8 is not the same word as the one for tin. It's a different word, and it means moaning. Now, both tin and the word for moaning sound the same. And so it doesn't change the fact that Amos is saying uh, judgment's here. It's just communicating it differently with a kind of play on words to say, you see this tin? And God wants Amos to see the tin. And he says, see the tin? Now realize that what's going to happen is God's people are going to end up moaning because of the punishment, the judgment that's coming upon them. So it's really a play on words. Now we can't get those things the same way in our English translations. It just doesn't work that way. Well, I think we understand that. You can't translate easily from one language to another that way. But I can give you a little bit of an illustration about that. So today we are talking about a moose and a plumb line. Well, I got that idea years ago from Bruce Wilkerson, who put together some tips and ideas for how to get a quick snapshot of what each book of the Bible was about. And, and he made a picture of a, a moose with a plumb line. Well, he met Amos and used plumb line as the illustration. And again, that's the tr traditional translation. And again, we're not taking anything away from the meaning by saying this. Well, when I say a moose, I'm using that as a play on words for the name Amos. That's what the book of Amos did with this word tin. It doesn't change the meaning. Don't get all upset about that. Just be willing to grow in God's direction and say, okay, God was using a wordplay the way we use a moose for Amos so that we'll understand that he was talking about tin and then using that pronunciation similarity with the word moaning. Moaning certainly implies the, the absolute horror of defeat and destruction. God was saying here, Israel is not going to escape defeat and destruction. It's absolutely coming. God had relented previously in response to, to Amos and his prayer, but not now. God's people are not going to escape this. And it's important for us to remember that God's people aren't exempt from judgment. They never have been. It's true all through the Bible. We also need to understand that no one exempt is exempt from God's judgment. Sometimes today people think, well, God will understand. Um, yeah, you talk to him about that. Doesn't seem at all consistent with the Bible. Yes, God is long-suffering. He has patience with us. But at some point, enough's enough, and we need to, we need to get real about that and, and face uh, 
face the reality that God has expectations for us, and he wants us to live up to them. Now, so Amos does talk about the judgment in some specific terms. In verse 9, he talks about Isaac's high places will be deserted, and Israel's sanctuaries will be in ruins. I will rise up against the house of Jeroboam with a sword. Those are God's words that Amos is using there. And so it's fair for us to ask, well, now what's going on here? What does he mean here? Well, what it seems to be is that the judgment that God is bringing is aimed at the centers of religious and political power. Religious and political power and self-righteous pride. Now think about that. Why would he do that? Probably because that's the influential area and it leads people astray. It's true in our day. Religious leaders can lead people astray. Political leaders can lead people astray. And in those days, and uh, among God's people, there wasn't the distinction we see today in the United States between political leaders and religious leaders. And so we're seeing what's going on here as God taking aim at the important influential places and he's also dealing with self-righteous pride. So he's really talking about the desolation of the sanctuaries, high places deserted, sanctuaries ruined, those places of worship would be desolate, and the destruction of the royal line, the king who had great influence and too often led people astray. And here Amos is saying, you got to get this straight. I've got to fix this. God has said he's fixing it. Well, Amaziah pops up, and he's not real happy with Amos. Well, why isn't he? Well, Amaziah, as best we understand it, is the priest, the chief priest, likely, at Bethel, a religious and worship center in Israel. Now, at this point, let's make sure we clarify that this is during the period of time where the kingdom of God's people is divided. And so there's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is Israel. The southern kingdom is Judah. Right now, these events are taking place in Israel. And so Amaziah is the priest at Bethel, and he comes along and he has some pretty stern words for Amos. So Amaziah says to uh, Jeroboam that, well, Amos is conspiring against you, and it's not a good thing. So here's Amaziah, chief priest at Bethel, appointed by the king. So you see the political overlap and why God would aim at the religious and political powers. So here's Amos, who represents what we would call the Israelite establishment, and he stands up and says to Amos, not going to put up with this. We don't need this here. Get out of here. In no uncertain terms. See, he, he either considered Amos a charlatan or maybe a conspirator against Jeroboam because they would have thought that what Amos was doing was treasonous. Uh, or maybe he was jealous. You know, there's a lot of potential things here. Uh, certainly there was some real serious concern because in the ancient world, they believed that when a prophet made a proclamation, that proclamation was not only the deity's message to the people, but in an interesting way, it released divine action 
to bring about what the prophet was proclaiming. So you understand why, why they would think of Amos as being treasonous, why he was a real problem. So exactly how Amaziah thought of him isn't 100% clear from the text, but he certainly didn't like him at all. He certainly considered him against the, the king and the establishment. He certainly understood that, and he may well have thought that he didn't belong as a prophet because he had pronounced judgment against God's people, and they didn't really want to hear it. So Amaziah, having made that statement, then hears from Amos. And Amaziah says, knock it off and get out of here. And Amos gives him a response. So Amos says to him, Amaziah, I'm, I'm not a prophet. I'm not a son of a prophet. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, being a prophet was not his occupation or not his primary role, we might say, in our world. No, Amos explains, I came from watching flocks and taking care of sycamore fig trees. Uh, I'm not at all what you seem to think I am. I'm just a guy doing what God said to do. And uh, that was a pretty good answer. But then Amos goes on, and he pronounces judgment against Amaziah. It's really quite astounding what he says to Amaziah. You know, God called me to do this, and, and what are you doing but telling me I shouldn't? That's a serious thing for us to tell someone not to do what God called them to do. A lot of implications to that. We want to be very careful not to speak against what God is doing. I think we understand that. And in so many ways, Amaziah didn't want to take Amos seriously. He didn't want to hear what Amos had to say. And so he pronounces this serious judgment against Amaziah. Amos is being honest and true to what God called him to do. And he says, to, more or less, to Amaziah, I'm, I'm really not trying to put myself in your place or take over what you're doing. He explains that he earns his living from the flocks and the trees that he takes care of. He's not making his money from being a prophet, which is the implication that Amaziah has. And It's interesting that, that Amos says to Amaziah, God called me to do this, and he says, the Lord took me away from following the flock. It's quite interesting that that's a very similar way that God called David away from the flocks and made him king. And so Amos was just trying to explain in his down-to-earth way what was going on, and Amaziah was actually encouraging Amos to disobey God. Well, in verse 16, now Amos pronounces judgment on Amaziah. It's a really disturbing statement that he makes. There's, there's no way around it. But he says to Amaziah, hear the word of the Lord. He says, you tell me not to prophesy. You tell me not to preach against the house of Isaac. And that's verse 16. But then he goes on to say, this is what the Lord says. Now, when the Lord speaks, people ought to listen. And so Amos right up front says, your wife will be a prostitute. 
Your sons and daughters are going to be killed. The land that you call your own, it's going to be divided up. You'll die on pagan soil. And to be sure, Israel will go into exile. Well, that is not a message any of us want to hear. Certainly, Amaziah would not have wanted to hear it. I'm not sure Amos wanted to, to give the message, but he did what God said. He told him straight up. It's very interesting that if you take a look and you look at verse 17 and you look at verse 11, in verse 11, Amaziah is upset with Amos and talking about to uh, Jeroboam what Amos was saying. And he says specifically at the end of his statement to Jeroboam that, that Israel will certainly go into exile from its homeland. And at the end of verse 17, Amos repeats what Amaziah had said. Israel will certainly go into exile from its homeland. That is stunning to realize what's going on here. God is serious about what he's talking about, and he doesn't want us to miss that. So let's talk about some of the implications of this verse. It's 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 a ch- the more I think about it, it's just a chilling passage. But let's ask a few questions and try to to answer them. Is this prophecy about a country today? You know, people are often interested in how the Bible applies to today, and we should be. So, is this a prophecy about a country today? And my answer is no. I don't see any reason to think that. What's applicable to today is that God is not fooled, and he will bring bring judgment on unrighteousness wherever he finds it. He won't relent forever, and that's one of the important lessons to take away from this, is that God will not relent forever. A day of reckoning will come. But I can't see any reason to say that this is true about one country or another today. It's true about people But secondly, we should ask another question. Does the prophecy apply to the church today? Well, maybe. See, it's much easier to make the connection between the application of the prophecy to the church today than it is to a country, because clearly Amos is talking about what's going to happen to God's people. So that's much more consistent with what happens today when we think about the church. So if Amos is pronouncing judgment against God's people in those days, might we remind ourselves that, that just because people call them God, themselves God's people doesn't mean they're exempt from God's judgment, and we need to pay attention to that and not miss that. I'm not saying that God is going to do to any country today or to any church or any certain group of people. I am saying that God is not going to be fooled by our nonsense. And when we don't follow what he says, we can expect correction or judgment. Another thing that we should make sure we don't miss out of this is is Amaziah and his rejection of God's word. He doesn't want to hear it. He tells Amos, go away, go go to a different part, go to Judah, get out of here, Don't, don't prophesy here anymore. And it's an important lesson that we need to that we need to pay attention to. We need to hear what God says. We may not want to hear it all the time. We may not like what he says. We may not want to have to follow it, but we need to hear it and we need to follow it. Very important in these days. 
when people are trying to make God say whatever they want him to say. Very important. You see, Amaziah's judgment, the judgment he comes under that Amos pronounces from God, shows that it's dangerous to reject God's word and God's prophet. It's dangerous to reject God's word and God's prophet. Well, we probably need to talk about that a little bit more. We're going to take a break in a minute, but I want to repeat that it is dangerous to reject God's word and God's prophet. But I want us to think about that while we take this break. Am I being self-serving by that? I mean, I put myself out there. I clearly am a pastor. One of the roles of pastor is to be a prophet, to tell God's people what God says. So am I trying to get people to pay attention to me and listen to me? Is that self-serving? Because Amaziah was self-serving when he wanted Amos out of there. So am I doing the same thing? Hmm. Got to be careful about that, don't we? We got to make sure we don't fall into the trap that other people have just because we read it in the Bible and we want to make ourselves look good. So uh, short answer is no, I'm not asking you to do that. The long answer is something we probably need to talk about in just a little bit more detail. And so you take a break, I'll take a break. We'll recalibrate ourselves. We'll have a refreshing drink of warm tea or whatever it is you like. And um, we'll give a little thought to what God is saying to us here so that we can be the kind of people that have faith absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God, because that's really what God wants us to do, is to trust Him and to trust His Word. So you hang in there. Don't give up on God. He hasn't given up on you. And we will come back on Faith Is in just a moment. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com, where we're healing America one person at a time. All right, you've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the pulpidone iodine-based nasal spray, Cofix RX. They talk about it because it's a product that actually works in combating colds, flus, and coronaviruses. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. It's simple. By attacking viruses where they incubate, you make it easier for your body to heal. Check out the Cofix RX banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD. Now the spirit of American liberty and justice is woven into the soul of America Out Loud. Now we invite you friends to invest some of your time with our magnificent family of experts, their minds and voices. It's all back at AmericaOutloud.com Liberty and justice for all. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. 
Even the Centers for Disease Control labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM Sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. All right, here we are. We're back from our break, and we're ready to tackle the rest of this from Amos, and we're ready to, to think through this question that I left us with about, is it self-serving for me to say that it's dangerous to reject God's word and God's prophets? Well, I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. I'm the pastor of Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida. We do this program to help you to stretch all of us in God's direction, and we don't do it because we want to be self-serving or we want to guilt you into listening to me or anyone else. But it is nonetheless true that this lesson from Amos chapter 7 teaches us clearly that it's dangerous to reject God's Word and God's prophets. So we need to be real careful about that. I don't want to be self-serving about that. I want to be straight up front with you, absolutely clear that I don't expect you to listen to me just because God has called me to the ministry. You know, that's up to you and God. I'm not going to be heavy-handed about that. And and really, let me, let me put it as plainly as I can. You are under no obligation to listen to me and to believe what I say, period. Full stop. The important point here is very simple. Listen to God and do what he says. Well, as I know how, I'm going to tell us, and we're going to talk about, what God says. And that's what matters. What I say does not matter. That's why we center our thoughts on the Bible from week to week. That's why we take a look at what God says, because what he says matters. And we live in a time when people want to change what God says to suit themselves. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we need to pursue that just a little bit more before we leave the book of Amos. There are two of maybe the saddest verses in all of the Bible. They come from Amos chapter 8, the next chapter here. And it says, look, the days are coming. This is the declaration of the Lord God. When I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and roam from north to east, seeking the word of the Lord. But they will not find it. Verses 11 and 12 from Amos chapter 8. Imagine, imagine a world when people are looking for a word from God and finding only silence. You know, we are so blessed. We have so many English translations of the Bible. I have a bunch of Bibles right here in my office. I look at them regularly. I consult them all the time. 
I have so many English translations on an app on my phone. We are rich with the Word of God. And yet, here God in the book of Amos is talking about a time when people will look for God's Word and not be able to find it. And we need to take a lesson from that. We need to take a very important lesson to that. See, the New Testament says something similar in 2 Timothy chapter 4. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. See, that's very similar to what Amos was saying. Can you imagine? They have the the old King James Version says itching ears. They want to hear what they want to hear. And if a pastor or anyone else says what they don't want to hear, they're going to dismiss it and send them away the same way Amaziah dismissed Amos and wanted to send him out of the country. See, we need to take very careful attention to that and make sure that we don't set ourselves up to be only willing to hear what we want to hear. Very important to that. Very, very important. We must hear what God says. You see, if we, if we don't hear what God says, and if we don't follow what God says, we'll, we'll either starve to death spiritually or be deceived and believe the wrong things. And, and we don't want that to happen. Very important very important. See, Jesus said, and he put it plainly, about the importance of listening to God. If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, that's the advantage of God's word. It corrects us. It brings freedom. It provides for us what we need. And we need to pay very careful attention that we don't fall into the trap of rejecting what God says because we just don't like what he says. What God says to us is how to live so that we can have the best life. What did he say? I am come that you may have life and have it to the full. That comes from John chapter 8. Look it up. I think it's verse 32. See, God wants good things for us, and so he tells us the truth so that we can find that freedom, that uh, that life to the full. And Jesus reminded us, reminded us in Luke chapter 11, verse 28, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Hear the word of God and keep it. Well, I want you to be blessed. Absolutely. I want you to hear the word of God and I want you to, to keep it. That matters so very much. Now, I would have been also thinking this past week, and so many things come across my mind, and, and I'm exposed to this thought or that thought, and I thought, maybe it'd be interesting, so let's try something different. Well, we've looked at Amos, and we've looked at the importance of hearing God and hearing His Word, and we've done that, but we also need to, from time to time, think about what we notice going on around us and make some connections. So I want to take the next few minutes, and talk about 10 things I think. And if this is helpful, maybe we'll do this more often. Uh, I'm not sure, but we'll think about it. But 10 things I think. Number one, I think the biggest hindrance to the assurance of salvation is rationalizing known sin. 
Well, that's a fancy way of saying, listen, if God is saying to you, stop this, it's sin, then you need to stop that because it's sin. No amount of rationalizing will make you feel better and assured of salvation if you are deliberately rejecting what God says. And it has been true in various times in my life that I've noticed people really looking for assurance of salvation. And I think the biggest hindrance to the assurance of salvation is rationalizing known sin. Number two, here we go. You might want to sit down for this one. I think with all the emphasis on mental health these days, we are completely losing sight of the need for spiritual health. Indeed, I think the concept of mental health has supplanted the concept of spiritual health. You know, if God really said it, and he did, that Jesus came to give us life to the full, then our spiritual health matters. And all of the things that people are now labeling as mental health, all of those things used to be things that we talked about as being spiritual health. You know, when I held a grudge against my neighbor, I used to be told, and I'm still telling you, that's sin. You need to forgive. We need to think about the things that trouble us in terms of spiritual health rather than mental health. Because when we resolve our spiritual issues, all of our life is better. So don't fall into that trap of, well, I've got mental health problems. Maybe you have a sin problem or a spiritual problem. Yikes, Pastor, you didn't say I have a sin problem, did you? Uh, I said, maybe. And I just want you to be honest with God. God will be honest with you, because when you identify that it's a problem that has put you at odds with God, you can resolve that. And God gives grace to the people that want to resolve those things. So I want grace for you. Now, I think a lot of things, and this this what this thing I think may surprise you. Number three, I think it's way too hot in Florida this time of year. So all of you who are jealous of us during the winter because it's warmer here, just remember, we pay a price in the summer. Summer is hot in Florida, and I think it's way too hot. It's really true. They told me when I moved down here, summer is winter and winter is summer. Yep, we retreat out of the heat and stay inside during the summer and we get outside and enjoy the weather in the winter. It's just way too hot now. So if you want to have sympathy for us, you can. I'm pretty sure you don't want to, because you're going to say it's way too cold in the winter if you live up north. Then that's fine. But that's one of the things I think. I also think, number four, too many people examine God to see if he agrees with them. And that's exactly the wrong thing to do. We need to learn what God says and then align our lives with his instructions. I'm just really surprised how many people will sometimes say when they hear God has said something, they'll say something like, well, I don't believe that. You know, it uh, doesn't really matter whether you believe it, I believe it, the next person believes it. It matters if God says it. Then we need to align our lives with what he says is the, the right belief, the right behavior. We don't put ourselves in judgment of God. God actually checks us, wants to straighten us out. It's about time we let him do that, don't you think? Number five, I think people often treat the church the same way as number four. What I mean by that is 
people often look for a church that agrees with them. Now, if you are 100% absolutely aligned with what God says, and there's no disagreement between you and God, well, maybe you're that exception that can look at a church and see if it, if it lines up with what you think. No, what you need to look for is a church that honors God and proclaims His Word. There's no perfect church. There's probably no church that's going to agree with every single thing you think. It could be that some of the places you and the church disagree on, you're wrong. A lot of times that's true. The church guides me, the church down through the centuries. And so I would say to you that instead of looking for a church that lines up with what you believe, look for a church that is closest to the Bible. Not a church that's closest to what you believe. Look for a church that's closest to the Bible and honors the Bible, follows what God says, doesn't get distracted, doesn't fall into other ditches. I think number six, and I've said this before, and I'll probably keep saying it, too many people pay too much attention to the mainstream media or what some people call the legacy media. Too many people spend too much time watching the news. It's out there 24-7 now. It's not good for you to keep watching that stuff. You need to be discerning about that. You need to get away from it and have some time to think about it. One of the things you need to do is when you are exposed to the news, you need to step back and turn it off and now say, well, what does God say about that? Uh, the news is saying this. What is God saying about that? And you can do that for all kinds of issues. Consider the transgender stuff that's going on, the LGBTQ things that are going on, all of the issues of the day, the political wars, everything. We need to step back and say, hold on a minute. I need to turn off the television. I need to turn off the radio. And I need to turn on the Word of God so that I get more influenced by what God says than by all the stuff that's out there. Without a doubt, without a doubt, much of what passes for news today is intended just to upset you and to fire you up, to make you mad, to get some kind of response. So you need to listen to, to wise voices. You'll find them on this network, and you need to listen to them carefully, and you need to discern all of what that stuff is through the lens of what God says really does matter. Number seven, I think God's people must vote and vote their biblical values. Oh, horror, some people say. Now you're talking about politics. Well, no, I'm talking about citizenship. We are citizens of this country, and we have a government that invites us to participate. We have liberty that God has given us as a gift and it's time for God's people to vote and not be embarrassed by that, not be reluctant to do it, but to face up to the responsibility and to vote your biblical values. Vote for the candidates that reflect your biblical values. And if you're going to say to me, well, some of them are really scoundrels and sometimes I don't have a good choice, then here's the answer. Are you ready? Vote for the candidate that will lessen evil. That's really clear. You can find that out. You may say they're all scoundrels. Well, I hope they're not all scoundrels where you live, but look for the one 
that will lessen evil. If none of them reflect biblical values, and I understand that's a problem, I get it, then before God, you can vote for the one that lessens evil, because that's our responsibility is to overcome evil with good. So get out there and vote, and vote your biblical values. Number eight, I think, and I'm still thinking about this. Some of you are going to say, get over it. Okay, I will eventually. But I think vacations are good. I think they're so good, I'd like to go again. So if you ever come back from a vacation and feel that way, don't feel bad. I think that's just normal. I think that's good. When we have an opportunity to take a vacation, we should enjoy it and give thanks for all of the benefits that that brings us because vacations are good. Number nine, we're talking 10 things that I think. We're trying to make some connections between the things that we think about, I think about, and what the Bible says and how the Bible would have us to live. And so we're going down through this list of things that I just kind of came up with as I was thinking about it this week to kind of process what's going on. Number nine, are you ready for this one? You might you might have to put on your spiritual seatbelt for this one because some people get way too caught up in this stuff. And that's probably why I think about it. It's because I notice that people get way too caught up in this stuff. Okay, so I think people worry too much about what's going to happen tomorrow and too little about following God's instructions today. We want prophets who will tell us what's going to happen so that we can be assured that everything's going to be fine tomorrow. Well, based on Amos and other places in the Bible, we can't always have certainty that everything's going to be fine tomorrow. Don't we live in a broken world? Bad things are going to happen. And we need to stop worrying about tomorrow. We need to stop fretting about tomorrow. Yeah, I hope tomorrow is better. Yeah, I hope your tomorrow is better. Yes, I hope all of the things that you're concerned about or that are a challenge for you and your family, I hope all of them get better tomorrow. Of course, we want that for each other. But we need to be careful about looking for people, prophets who will tell us what we want to hear about tomorrow. You see, prophets in the Old Testament, prophets in the Bible, usually, most often, spent their time telling God's people how to straighten up the crooked places in their lives. Well, that's the kind of prophets we need today, people that will help us sort out our nonsense, our sin, and live lives of righteousness. And, and uh, you know, we don't want to be the kind of people that worry about tomorrow because we want to have confidence in God. We want to trust Him. And we need to listen to people. And I would encourage you to find a church, find some people that you can hang out with that will keep you from spending your time wringing your hands. I guess one of the things that frustrates me, and I look around and I see too many of God's people, they wring their hands about how bad the world is getting. You know, there's a lot of bad stuff in the world. And yes, you can always find a reason to think the world's getting worse. But you can also find a reason for hope, because God hasn't given up on us yet. So find some people that will 
that will encourage you, that will build you up, not drag you down by saying, oh dear, what's going to happen? Oh my, how bad is it going to get? Find the people that will say to you, you know, it's bad. God knows it's bad, but I'm going to pray something like this. Thank you, Lord, that you haven't abandoned us. Thank you that one day you're going to make all the wrongs right. Thank you that I don't have to get caught up in the worry and the hand-wringing and the, oh my, what's going to happen? I can trust you because I know one day you're going to make it all right, and I don't have to worry about that now. I'm going to trust you now and then. And so finally, quite similar to number nine, I guess, I think, number 10, I think a lot of the stress and strain of life results from our anxiety, from our worry. You know, I I struggle with this a little bit because I know the reality is that people have difficulties. You might be facing some now. I know people have painful things to deal with. You might be living your life in chronic pain right now. I have not had that problem, that challenge in my life. I don't want to minimize the anxiety, the stress, the worry that people have, the the, the the reality that pain is a terrible companion and it really does weigh us down. I don't, I don't want to do that at all. But I do want to remind us that we often get caught up in that anxiety and worry and we spend far too much time thinking about that and not enough time saying to God, I trust you absolutely. I have faith. I have absolute confidence in your trustworthiness. And no matter how difficult the time gets, I am not going to focus on the difficulty. I'm going to focus on the God who rules and reigns over the affairs of people. And I'm going to trust him to bring about good things in his time. And if I have to go through a little hardship, I'm just going to hang in there and persevere and endure and have confidence in God. What else should we do? Should we just fall prey to the, the, oh dear, oh my? Or do we want to step up and stand up and stretch toward God's high calling and say, God can count on me. I'm going to trust him. It's not going to be easy some days, but in spite of the pain, in spite of the, the anxiety that I find myself overwhelmed with because my loved ones are far from God, in spite of the worry about what might happen to this friend of mine who I care so much about, in spite of the diagnosis my other neighbor has gotten, in spite of everything, could we help each other? I know I need the help. Could we help each other have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God? And I think we could put a lot of that stress and strain behind us if instead of worrying our prayers, we said to God, you know how concerned I am about this, but I'm really thankful that you know everything about it and you are just as concerned. You know everything about it, and you love the people involved just as much as I ever will, even more. What if we express that kind of confidence that God really is handling things, that God really is able to handle whatever comes our way? Because he is. So let's express that confidence in him, shall we? And let's not forget the words of Amos. Let's not forget his admonitions that we need to hear the voice of God, and we need to do what he says. Amos didn't come along and tell Amaziah that bad things were going to happen or 
tell God's people that judgment was coming because he wanted to. God called him to do that, and he gave it to them straight up. None of us who teach the Bible want to tell people, hey, you're headed for destruction for any other reason than that we want people to turn and get right with God. Sadly, in Amos's day, that time had passed, but it hasn't passed for you. If you find yourself and you realize that, that you need to make some changes, then now's the time. You see, the way we have the assurance of salvation is because we embrace the God who saves. And Jesus said we needed to change our lives. See, a lot of people want to believe that Jesus is real, and he is, but not as many people want to change their lives. And that's the message of the Bible. Change your life, believe the good news, follow in the way Jesus leads. And that's what we need to think about doing. Whatever challenge you have, wherever you find yourself, you can turn to God, believe the good news, and you can change your life. That's what it means to repent. Repent means change your life. Stop doing what you know you shouldn't do. You can. God gives grace to the people that want to. Start doing what you know you should do. Some people, the reason they struggle spiritually is they know God has called them to do something, and they're too stubborn to do it. Well, let's get over all of that stuff, because we're going to be people of faith. We're going to have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God, and we're going to be stronger because we trust Him more, and we're going to keep getting stronger, and we're going to take another look at that and get stronger next week. Join me then.